HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by greatbrewers.com, a social media marketing platform dedicated to promoting the world's great brewers and the beers they create. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. It's October 29th, 2013. I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43 and the Good Beer Seal. We've got a, a great room here of uh, New York City beer guys and uh, some special guests. So Ed Barastek is here. Hello. From Mugs House tonight. we got uh, Ben Granger from Beercraft. What's up, Jimmy? All right. Phil Richmond from Manhattan Beer. They distribute some great beers in Brooklyn. How's it going? Yeah. All right. Uh, Dan Cotman from uh, Schlafly Brewing in St. Louis. Hello. All right. Augie, our buddy, Augie Carton from Carton Brewing. Hello. Yep. And Alex Hall, our cast master, to talk about the cast mark tonight. Hi. So it's pretty good. This, this is a pretty good lineup. If, if you like beer, first check out greatbrewers.com. We're always thanks, thankful to have them as our sponsor. And uh, we're here on the Heritage Radio Network. So, Ed, what's going on? Haven't seen you for a couple weeks. I know. I you know, miss the women. I thought I was coming back to women at the show, but there's no women here today. So You're on the women's show yeah, or the I'm beer gonna make, show? I'm going to make it a requirement. It's funny, just a couple weeks ago, we had uh, Heather, she's one of the brewers at Six Point, and she said, why are there so many white dudes in, in craft beer? <laughs> well, it's like, I don't know, I just guess there are a lot of them. And, uh, but, so you're looking for women in craft beer. Well, I live in a house full of women, so you have to understand, it goes with the territory. So That's the way I live my life. <laughs> well, welcome back. And Ben here, Ben Granger, you just had a, a, a new baby, didn't you? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, we just had our second son, I guess, like two months ago. Congratulations. All right. Yeah, thanks, Jimmy. So uh, let's ask Beercraft because, you know, we haven't seen you in a while, I guess, because you just had a baby. Yeah. But uh, what's going on at Beercraft? I mean, you guys have a tasting tonight? Oh, uh, yeah. We have, uh, we have a tasting with Schlafly tonight right after the show, which is going to be totally awesome. We're tasting a bunch of really good beer. Um, other than that, you know, it's the same old, same old. Lots of beer drinking, lots of hanging out, lots of... Uh, uh, a little bit of beer making and, you know, that kind of thing. All right. Well, let's get to Dan. Dan Cotman, uh, we've known about Schlafly for a long time, and you've only, what, just come back to the New York City market? Yeah, about yeah. The, earlier this year, I think May. And our, our previous uh, our previous uh, visit here was pretty brief and uh, was sort of unexpected <laughs> by us. <laughs> 
So it's great to be back. I really enjoy, you know, visiting and so many great people, so many great places. So we have a lot of background notes on you. It's your first time on the show. So we're, we're going to try to talk to you a lot tonight and we'll work in some of the other guests as well. So the, the first question that always comes up is, you guys opened in the shadow of Anheuser-Busch in St. Louis, Missouri. Right. Um, you know, tell us, tell us how you got started and you know, was that courage or was that just... Stupidity. 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 <laughs> <laughs> uh, I grew up in St. Louis, so I uh, was born there and longtime uh, blues fan. Obviously, a big Cards fan. So, but I uh, I escaped as many people do from uh, from uh, a city with no mountains and no ocean. And I ended up after a number of years uh, at uh, in the, in Edinburgh. And I uh, did a a training with uh, Scottish Newcastle Breweries, and because that was 1983. And then a training with Young's Brewery in London, and immediately after that, and then they offered me a job. And so I was in London at Wandsworth for ten years. Uh, and then uh, my father and Tom Schlafly were uh, law partners in St. Louis. And Tom was uh, more of a, a writer, poet, and home brewer uh, than he was a lawyer and was very interested in beer. And sort of we talked about this idea of building a small brewery in St. Louis. I, we all, we, I think we both thought it was a pretty stupid idea given where we, what we were talking about doing. And, but it, <laughs> crazy ideas become reality when you buy a building. Uh, and so we we bought the building in uh, July of 1991. It was a vacant, abandoned part of the city. Uh, what is now the Schlafly Taproom had been vacant for 30 years. And local the local interest here would be that that building was the, the featured building uh, for the film Escape from New York. <laughs> the filmmakers were looking for a post-apocalyptic lower Manhattan. They found it in west downtown St. Louis. And uh, so our building features brightly. Uh, in, in that in that movie a number of times. So that's that's when we started, and, and it was a pretty toxic environment. Uh, it was long before words like craft beer even existed. So we set out to be a great small brewer to serve our local market and try and make all the beer style, the great European beer styles that Anheuser Busch didn't make. You know, they were just making American light lager, but. Locals, the, both retailers and consumers, are very loyal to Anheuser-Busch and for really all the right reasons. Anheuser-Busch permeated all aspects of society and culture in St. Louis and really built, to a certain extent, built the city in many respects. A lot of buildings paid for by AB. So retailers and consumers had a loyalty there that was, in, in a sense, well-deserved. So that's, we just hope to find a few people looking for something different. Uh, but we sold all the beer over the bar for the first couple of years, really, because retailers, there was no incentive, no interest in selling beer from another brewery. And beer styles outside of American Light Lager, the, ter- you know, the, the concept of beer styles was very un- unfamiliar to most people. Is it still that way in St. Louis? I mean, can you get a lot of craft beers there? It's changed dramatically, especially since the sale of Anheuser-Busch in 2008. Um, that that sort of that freed people from the social contract essentially that they had between themselves and the brewery, and so now we have a number of startups and and lots of beers from other cities, other beers coming into into St. Louis. So so as they sold, you guys kind of like took that place of being the the local beer in the area. Oh, uh, that's it's really complicated. They still have they had 
over 5,000 employees in November of 2008, they immediately let go 2,000 people. Wow. So we all knew somebody. It was a really, it was a really interesting time looking back because it was so traumatic. None of us believed it had actually happened. You know, it was sort of a bad divorce essentially between oh, yeah. the city and the brewery. But but they still have 3,000 employees. They still spend a lot of money in, in St. Louis. So they're still a big piece of it. But it's different now. It, it released people from uh, that essentially contract that said, I'll only drink Anheuser-Busch beers. And they've gone all sorts of places. I mean, a lot of people that drank light American lager and then drank Bud Light essentially may have gone to wines or spirits sure, now. Sure, sure. So when you when you first started making beer, you know you you spent time in, in Scotland and England. You know what were the first beers that you were making uh, at Schlafly? We opened with four beers. So uh, Schlafly Pale Ale is Young Special. That's the recipe from Young's. Uh, essentially, a few tweaks to that. It's Young Special with Fuller's yeast. Uh, <laughs> Young's brewed in all open fermenters, and that and that yeast strain was pretty bizarre. So we used Fuller's strain, essentially. What was Fuller's strain? And then uh, we used the same strain to make a wheat beer because we didn't want to use multiple yeast strains at the time. And so to make an unfiltered wheat beer because we were going to be the only place in St. Louis that did not sell AB beers. That was a hard thing to pull off because there was a lot of pressure on us to also sell Bud and Bud Light. And then we had Oatmeal Stout and European Pilsner, our first head brewer, working with myself, and then Stephen Hale, who's with us today. Um, he loved German pils and, and or European pilsners. So those were the first four beers. Now we make 60 different beer styles a year, probably. So you, you're very successful. I mean, you've been doing it for over 20 years. And, um, you know, you guys have grown in your own way. What are some of the, the lessons of, of the mistakes you've made? Because it's like there's so many new young breweries coming up that we're all, you know, we've got Augie yeah. from Carton Brewing here. Yeah. You know, like, how did you screw up and how did you make it through that? We've made all the mistakes. <laughs> Just the key is to learn from the mistakes and not make the big mistake. Don't, don't, bet, a whole, don't bet the whole thing on some one marketing effort or, or one initiative. Um, and we're pretty risk averse. So we've also reinvested money all the time. And so we're not – we're pretty debt free. And that's – a hot topic amongst small brewers right now because debt is a huge issue. And uh, so we've been able to patience. We, we make 60 beers today because we've been at it 22 years, not because we knew what we were doing necessarily. I mean, we had a pretty good idea of how to make beer and a, and a focus around making beer from day one. That was the passion was we want to brew great beer. So Everything else kind of had to be built alongside that, whether it's, you know, for years, marketing was sort of a four-letter word. We now use the word, but we still are very beer-driven. So that, uh, patience. And, and uh, if a bank comes you know, offering you money, remember they want it back. <laughs> you know, not for nothing, on a smaller scale, taking it from a brewery to a beer bar, <laughs> it kind of sounds similar to what I went through. I mean, 21 years ago, doing you know mugs in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, yeah. and trying not to sell Bud and Coors Light, and blah blah blah, and so on. And you're right, and you stay on that path, and you know you hope to, that you're right in doing what you're doing. Yeah. 
And, you know, in the, in the long run, I guess I was right to a certain degree because I'm still here, I guess, after yeah. 21 years. So. Of the 60,000 barrels of beer we'll make this year, 70% will be sold within 50 miles of the brewery in St. Louis. And so we still see ourselves as this committed local brewer where it's about the beer culture. It's about running a company that's sustainable in the sense of not too much debt and 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 making sure we make payroll every two weeks, and and then also our community. I mean, we've we have two breweries in St. Louis that have played a big part in the revitalization of two zip codes, and now we're working on a third project. So I uh, I think we're only now sort of trying to figure out our place in this bigger craft beer world because we still think of us ourselves as very focused on our local market, but we've. We're finding success in the in New York area and in D.C. and it's interesting to sort of figure that out. You know, do you know Danny Meyer? The so I grew up with Danny. I've, I've had a feeling you did. Yes, you guys seem <laughs> to have the same idea like about things. The great he's a great we, New York restaurant owner. If you don't know, he yeah. owns Union Square we went, Cafe and all this stuff. We went to the same we summer know, camp. But our listeners yeah. might not. Same summer camp, same everything, and. Uh, his nephew and my son have spent years at the same summer camp, and really. So there's only so oh, there's only ten people in St. Louis. There's only ten people. <laughs> there's only ten I people in St. Louis, and 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 we were emailing back and forth today because you know we expect there to be obviously there'll be a game seven, and we just wanted to know where we would each be for game <laughs> seven. <laughs> well, so where are you watching game six? Because you're in New York. Game six is tomorrow night. I don't actually know the name of the place we're doing it. Beer culture. Beer culture. Beer culture is game six, and uh, game seven, seven will be Thursday, night. Thursday night at the Brooklyn Tap House. All right. So, Cards fans throughout the New York area, <laughs> we will be uh, we will be enjoying ga- a game seven victory. We we, we like getting local house. color, and we're definitely talking more about uh, St. Louis. <coughs> but first, let's bring in Augie uh, Carton because you're kind of you're just started out. You got a real small brewery, so. Let's have a little dialogue. You know, he's the experienced small brewer. You're the new small brewer. Well, it's actually fun because a a lot of what you talked about is what has worked for you. Is kind of where I think we've made some good choices. We're um, we're a tiny brewery. We did 1,300 barrels last year. I think our total ambition is around 10. So, you know, we'd like to be the outside one-sixth of your size. Yeah. So, um, but the things we've found that give us, you know, the thing is... We tried to keep it fun for us, and, and that decision was... Sorry, you know, Steve, just sorry. pour us some Schlafly so we can say something yeah, here's about a, it. Here's Come an on. open Schlafly right, right there. Thank you. Um, but anyway, in a, in a nutshell, we made a couple decisions at the beginning that I think helped us. We, uh, but I'm, we're pouring, though, at the Schlafly that, Single Malt Scottish Show. Yeah. Who wants to... Uh, Danny, want to tell us about it? Or? The, well, they, they, we've made this beer once. We made it for our 21st anniversary. So the barley for this beer was grown on my brother-in-law's farm in Aberdeenshire, Scotland, which is about five miles from the new Brewdog Brewery in Ellen, if you're familiar with them. And uh, so that's where my wife's from. And the barley came from there. We had it malted in England on a floor, shipped over. And then a friend who's in the Scotch whiskey industry, uh, we got uh, Scotch whiskey barrels. And aged the beer for six months, so it's a single malt. We only use the one malt in it. I, I, I want to and uh, aged ben, it ben Granger to taste this and tell me what he thinks of it. <laughs> this is it tastes like scotch. Well, the goal here, this was a mad, crazy idea. So I like drinking scotch and water, 
not yeah, neat scotch. So the goal was, can we make scotch, something tastes like scotch and water that isn't distilled? So we did it. A beer that tastes like Definitely scotch got the nose. Yeah. <laughs> I guess Steve, come on. This is, so Steve, you're the brewer? One of the uh, brewers? Or? I am uh, now known as the roving brewmaster for Schlafly. Come on, Rovin. Get, get on the microphone. Well, it's, it's, the title. it's the kilt. Yeah, right. Yeah. I was going to say it's because of the kilt. <laughs> wow. I, uh, I wear a utility kilt for comfort, and I, uh, <laughs> uh, I've been in production for 22 years at the uh, Schlafly Taproom and Bottle Works in St. Louis. Dag, Dan dragged me out there from New England 22 years ago. We were homebrewers together uh, in college and then turned pro, as it were. So it's been a lot of fun, and now I'm spending more time on the road. Um, sampling the beer and doing fun things like this with you guys. This is a hoot. I'm trying to get good photographs so people will believe how much fun I'm having. Well, this is uh, awesome, man. You can, you can tweet us at, at beer underscore sessions and at heritage underscore radio. A lot of people will check it out. But I'll tell you what, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Yeah. Woo! This one's called She's Flexible by the Hard Bodies on the Heritage Radio Network.org. Do you want to taste the finest beer and spirits from over 125 breweries and 30 distilleries? The craft experience, the most exclusive craft and spirit tasting event in New York, hosted by great brewers, is available to the public for the first time ever. Join your fellow beer and spirit enthusiasts on Wednesday, November 13th in Manhattan to mingle with the superstars of the craft beverage world. Tickets are available now at www.thecraftexp.com. Hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. We're out here tonight at Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. We're going to have dinner tonight, I think. Augie Cot- Carton, uh, what, what, what would you eat when you come out to Roberta's? What's your favorite thing? Well, you got to do the pizza, right? Unless you can get in this secret, private, <laughs> nine-guy-only restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> Which I try every time we're out here. I say, hey, can we eat in there? you got to talk they to Jimmy Carbone. Nah, I don't know. Well, the, the secret is that there's that, the, I don't know what it's called. It's called Blanca. Yeah. It's in the back, and uh, I think you have to go to the host station and wait. And if someone cancels, yep. you can get in for the special But it's officially the like the yeah. hardest ticket in New York right now. It just happens to be on that side of that wall every time we do this. Is it really? Yeah. Well, I'd say if you can't get in, I would say go come into Roberta's, like we often do, order about 10 to 15 dishes, <laughs> and share it with your friends. Yeah. It sounds like a good tasting more. menu, right? <laughs> and a couple but beers. cheers for Roberta's. Roberta's hosts, hosts the Heritage Radio Network. This is a great place. There's so many new shows on, and uh, there's a membership drive coming up. So check out HeritageRadioNetwork.org. There's also a new website, which is really cool. And, again, thanks to our sponsor, GreatBrewers.com. All right, so here we are. We've got this awesome crowd. Craft beer is happening. Ed Berstecki. Still here. So what do you think? Looking back, we've got this uh, longstanding, you know, St. Louis brewer here, you know, Schlafly. We've got the new guy, Augie Carton. And we got Ben from Beercraft. He's on the verge of becoming a, a restaurant, little tiny brewery. You know, uh, how, you know, twenty-one years later. What do you think? More power <laughs> to him. I, I love seeing you know what. 
Ben is doing, and I know what he's done from day one, but uh, that was way back when. How many years has it been since you? Um, we're uh, we're twelve years in now. Yeah. We're not, it, it, it ain't like you're twenty one, that's for sure. Well, but, but we're, twelve we're, is a good number. We're, we're at it's we're at twelve. And we're doing all right. Uh, you were one of the first too. So tonight, we're, after too. after we have dinner, Roberta's, think, yeah, we're going to go. We're going to go to Beercraft, right? You have a tasting tonight with Schlafly. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and Steve, Steve and Dan are going to be there. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's what's happening. That's true. You're Let's gonna get Steve, any, Steve you're gonna drink any more beer? So, Steve, you're the roving brewmaster for uh, Schlafly. Yes, something like that. I've been so, in- like, so what, what happened? You guys were in New York. So you're a local brewery in St. Louis, but now you're in New York. So what markets are you in outside of St. Louis? We're essentially uh, 300 miles from St. Louis except Chicago. More on that later. And then uh, you snake your way over to the East Coast, and we're in uh, Virginia, D.C., Maryland, uh, parts of New Jersey, and New York. So that's sort of the spread. But uh, as Dan mentioned, we're 70% of our beer is sold uh, within a couple of hours of, uh, of St. Louis. So it's very much uh, local there. But uh, there are a lot of uh, expats on the East Coast throughout the areas I mentioned, and they all want good beer. So... Um, it's highly distracting to be talking about this when this lovely stuff is being poured right in front of me. This is a great radio show. How do I get a kilt? A better question. I put, I put, well, I want a utility kilt. I put Schlafly up as soon as it showed up in New York, and I, Phil came in, and he's like, we got it. We put it up. So I, I think we put it right Ed, up. Let's right? tighten this show a little bit. Ed, when, when, I want the kilt. But, and, uh, Dan, when did when did Schlafly first come to New York? Because you guys were here at another another incarnation, right? We shipped a very small amount of our Imperial Stout and Barley wine up here about four or five years ago. One shipment, and it was it was not done deliberately. It was sort of done through another relationship, and it just kind of it ca- it kind of happened. And yeah. we just we thought, whoa, this is not really what we're all about at the moment. So. And that was that was again in that whole period when AB had sold, and it was pretty pretty difficult for us just to keep up with our local market and just the chaos that was going on. So, so this is really our start in I New mean, York, really. If, at if, this point, why do you want to be in New York City? Well, New York City is the place. Where <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> I think for again, you know that Augie, but he's yeah. from St. Louis. <laughs> yeah, it's Lou. Come on, pour a little off for Lou. Because New York City is the place We where. started selling some beer in, in Washington, D.C. So we're, we have this very tight area region in the region, St. Louis, and then we don't sell in Chicago. And the th- but the cities that surround St. Louis, like Indianapolis and Louisville and Memphis and those Kansas City, those are the cities where we sell beer. And I was working um, for the – doing some work for the Brewers Association on um, tax policy in Washington. And – so I was traveling quite regularly to Washington and needed to get beer there for events. So all of a sudden we appointed a wholesaler there and then we just things just started happening and we this is that sort of transformation for us trying to figure out again, you know, what is Schlafly's place in this bigger craft beer community because we've never had those national aspirations like so many craft brewers do where they they end up in a lot of states very quickly on the basis that they Either they think they need to get there before somebody else does, and I think there's plenty of beer everywhere now. But so, it's 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 pretty exciting. I mean, I think you know we we're gaining in confidence, not as a brewer because we've always been confident that we can make really great beer. But the, the name Schlafly for us was always who's going to want to 
People in St. Louis have a hard time pronouncing the name. Wasn't there a, a Phyllis Schlafly? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she's, uh, she is related to our partner Tom, uh, aunt by marriage. Um, they, uh, it's an interesting family. They, they cross the they, – they, they stem from one end of the political spectrum to the other, and, and she's at one end <laughs> for sure. So then, uh, ben, um, ben, you know, so now, you know, you're doing an event tonight with, with Schlafly. You know, what beers from Schlafly do you, will you carry at Beercraft? Because uh, we're, we're tasting these. I like, mean, we're going to have a whole pile of stuff, everything from, you know, flash, the, the flagships to, you know, the, 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 the larger stuff. So, you know, because, um, you know, we're going to have – it's Beercraft. We're going to have everything. In fact, it's funny that you guys were, were talking about how you were here the first time. We had you the first time. So you were on the shelves with that first with that first dump of big bottle stuff, which was totally crazy. And New we York had, we markets, had you too. We had yeah, you too. So. New York market's a strange place. Uh, you know, you rarely see just the big bottles come through, and it, and Beercraft's a funny place. It's you know a lot of geeks hang out there and that kind of thing. So as soon as it hit the shelves, it was like a rumor of buzz in the room. People, people. I mean, this five years ago, people were like, "AB just sold." Did they buy Schlafly? Is Schlafly part of AB now? They're on the shelves and be- and it was just it was it was a very surreal thing, and then all of a sudden it just disappeared. It's and I want you know really that, nice to know, Dan, this is back. the only time we've ever talked about AB on the air. Yeah. It's only because it's your backyard, but usually we don't care. But for you guys, it's, it's something else. <laughs> but Phil, so like, okay, so I'm I'm out in Brooklyn where where you sell beer, um, right? You know, what are some of the Schlafly beers that that I would hope to find in a, in a good bar in Brooklyn? Well, I'll, definitely, I'm going to say the Schlafly APA, the Dry Hopped American Pale Ale. That beer, in my opinion, is fantastic. And I'm a big hop head. I, I usually drink all IPAs, but that'll satisfy my Hop Jones. Yep. A little less alcohol, a little smoother. I like I like that one a lot. Um, I have not had their uh, TIPA yet, which is an IPA they make with all Galaxy hops, and that should be uh, available very soon in the market. And we will have it tonight. And but, are they on draft too, or just bottles? Uh, they're they're on draft and bottles. There are um, three different IPAs that they make throughout the year. So they have an AIPA, which is their an IPA that uses all American hops, and then they have an XIPA that stands for Export IPA. It's sort of more on the English style and uses all English hops. And then this third one is the TIPA, which uses all uh, Galaxy hops from Tasmania. And uh, Dan or Sean can, Shane can correct me if I'm wrong on any of that, but I believe that's right. And then what, what are some of the top accounts of Brooklyn that, that are selling Schlafly right now? Oh, well, definitely, definitely Mugs Ale House is one of them. They, you know, they, they sell a lot of the, uh, the, the dry hopped um, American oh, Ed, I, I, had, I had no idea you, you were doing anything with beer these days. No, nah, I don't do anything. Nah. So what, what, are you carrying at Schla- what are you carrying at Mugs these days? Well, right now we just came off of our fall fest, so we're trying to get clear the lines of all that stuff. And then we're going to get Schlafly back up, and we're going to get the ABA. The ABA has been a big hit, and it's really been – and and the funny part about it, I'm going to – I don't know if I should mention the other brewery, but there was another, like, sessionable, like, ale, and that seems to be the going trend these days for us old-timers that can't handle – you know the high gravity of beer, <laughs> like myself. Can you name it? So, Please name it. Ed. No, I don't want to name it. Ed, uh, I don't Ed, want to name it. You have to name it. Well, it competed with Founders. And Just tell us the name of the beer. The the, the all day. It, it was, the Founders it, all day IPA. Yeah. Okay. So, well, it it competed with that. I mean, it, it kind of again with the definitions and things like that. I'm not going to go into that because we should have a show about that. Like, what does uh, you know a sessionable this and 
There's a lot of you things know I that have I get to talk about. Boat here. This is <laughs> yeah, just right. ridiculous. Well, I know you're going to hit that. I saw that sitting there. But wait, before you do that, on the other spectrum, I've got the. I'm holding this Imperial Stout from Schlafly from 2008 that I specifically bought today for us to taste. And I'd like to do that. Ed, thanks for bringing another. You know, Ed has one of the best uh, vintage sellers in New York. Him and Al- Sam Barbieri from Waterfront Ale House. The two of them, longtime beer bar owners. If you ever want a, a, some kind of vintage, you know, strong beer, call these guys up. <laughs> you know? Well, all right, Dan. Now we're, like, di- digressing. But the whole point is that we're talking about the dynamic beer scene, and you guys are in New York, and we're excited to have you. Um, and uh, I'm looking forward to trying more of your beers. But, you know, it's, it's still a great story. I mean, you're, you're someone that's, that's been there. I mean, there's so many new breweries open in the last five years. and so many Like, in New York City alone now, there's... You know, probably fifteen licensed breweries. Yeah. Some of them are, are you know, homebrew size, and you know, beer craft's about to be a licensed, you know, brewery as well. Um, do you have any advice for, uh, you know, all the new up and coming breweries? Yeah, in addition to being patient, I think it's understand that you're making essentially an agricultural product. And one of the great pleasures I think we draw from, or I have drawn out of thirty years, is spending as much time with the growers. As I can. Uh, again, my uh, brother-in-law grows malting barley, mostly for the Scotch whiskey industry in Scotland. Uh, but early on, when I worked for Youngs, they uh, we would go down and, and spend time with the hop growers in the south of England. And so we still buy all the English hops that we use in Schlafly Pale Ale, which is our flagship, and and, and then in the XIPA that Phil was talking about. All those come from a 80-plus-year-old hop grower named Tony Redsell in East Kent and, uh, and two other growers. And that industry's really shrunk in England, so there's very few hop growers left. But they, the hop-growing community, for example, is very small. And so that's the hookup to the hops from Australia came from a grower in England. And so we've been fortunate because we're very close to the grower community. We've never had an issue with hop supply. We have a lot. A lot of our contracts are direct with growers, and so we've never had an issue uh, getting what we need to make the beers we're making. And we've been fortunate to meet so many great growers in the United States as well. So every beer essentially has a story um, that really relates back to the raw material. And I would encourage all startup small brewers when you've got that moment and you. I know selling is really important, making beer is really important, and you rely on your the middleman wholesaler um, for a lot of your raw materials, whether it's the maltsters wholesaling side or the hop merchants. But if you can take the time to go and meet the growers, they're they're fabulous people, both on the malting on the barley side and on the hop side. So, what about the ageability? So, John, we're trying to cover a lot of bases, but you know, so Ed just brought this vintage beer. And we tried some some of your you know, more yeah. recent beers, but you know, tell us about that ageability. You know, I think we're believers that beer is best consumed right away when it's bottled. That's I don't think anybody in the brewing industry is bottling beer today with an understanding of what that beer is going to taste like in five or ten years. the The aging of beer, especially oak aging of beer, is so new for brewers compared to the wine industry. And in, and in the wine industry, it's a lot of smoke and mirrors as well. It's a lot of vocabulary and not a lot of reality at times. So in the brewing industry, you know, we spent thousands of years getting beer out of wood. 
<laughs> now we're putting beer back into wood. Uh, so it's an interesting development. But as beer ages, it simply oxidizes. As it oxidizes, the flavor is going to change. Some people might like the change. Some people might find it that they like the beer immediately when it was bottled. So it's going to change, but it's subjective, I believe, as to whether that's better or worse than when it was first bottled. Well, beer in general is subjective, but I, I'm just curious because, and I don't want to put you on the spot, but you put a date on it. Sure. So, but that way people know when it was bottled. Okay. Yeah. So if they want to age it, they can age it. And if right. they want to drink it immediately, oh, they can exactly. drink it. No, I think uh, it's really important. And that's a cool in, thing. In I'm labeling. Not, which me, which I, is one thing like, I'd like to sort out because we just made the, the beer we just tasted, the Shipwreck Porter, the that was that, Hardy Porter aged on actually, rum barrels from a very, very, thing. very good. But we made that beer in 12 and bottled it in 13. And... I think Where, the beer she the said is you'd call it 13, <laughs> even though we made the beer in 12. Right. And to me, that's a very different thing because I may want to hold it back in wood for five years just to see. Say one cask and see what happens. It's still the 12 brew. And I, I have no idea why people print when they bottled it, except that it's something Bud did to the market with Born on Age thing. Like... Well, yeah, I Whenever guess that's you when, it's it's when it started, and then when, it's, com- Dan, when it's coming guys, out. Guys, I'm going to cut you off. Dan, let's join in because that's your thing. You guys do you do you put dates on your bottles, right? And this one we just <coughs> had with the, it's the Imperial Stout 2008. We put the bottling date, and it is, it's the bottling date, and it's bottle. lived, yeah. and it's <laughs> excellent. Steve, come on. Yeah, I, I just have to say it is bottled with love on that date, yeah. and it's excellent. <laughs> with, love. Love. Extra love. <laughs> with love, all right. Guys, this is wild room here. If you were here, you would be drinking, what, 10% beers right now? And uh, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions. All right. (laughs) This one's called I Like Ye by Hard Bodies on the Heritage Radio Network.org. Like what you hear so far? Support the network and become a member. Membership helps us bring you the best food radio in the world and gives you access to thousands of dollars in discounts at the sustainably-minded businesses that support us. To become a member, visit heritageradionetwork.org today. Hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Right now we're talking about vintage beer with uh, Dan Cobbin from Schlafly and Ed from Muggs. But but um, Ben from Beercraft, too, I want to get you in on this one. So, Dan, what were you just saying about vintage bottling? Because we were talking about that. And you, you, you've you always, I mean, in the market in New York, I always knew you first as someone who's producing vintage beer. Right. So, we well, the first beers that we brought to the market were the Oak Age beers. So, we have a series of beers that... Two beers, well, now three with the single malt Scottish ale. But they are beers that are aged either in spirit barrels that are from uh, freshly emptied either bourbon or um, scotch whiskey or new American oak barrels. And all the new American oak barrels are 
really new Missouri oak. So the largest cooperage in the world is about two hours from St. Louis. So that's where almost all the bourbon barrels are made, and most of the American wine barrels are, are made right in, in our backyard. And where is that? Is that in it's in Lebanon, Missouri. Missouri. Yeah. And is that part of the, the bourbon industry or the old beer industry? It's basically the forests are there. That's where the oak forest, you know, if you, so people call it American oak, but when you think about where the trees are, the trees are in southern Missouri, Arkansas, Oklahoma, uh, not Oklahoma, uh, Kentucky, Tennessee. So I'm they're really all glad, that I'm really glad we had you on because I, I know there's probably like about 20 more hours of conversation <laughs> to have. I'm going to try to work everybody you in. you got to bring them back. I, I, I mean, you're definitely coming back. But I want to get Ben Granger from Beer Craft. Ben, you know, you, you sell, you know, many hundreds of bottles at a time. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about vintage bottles in general? You know, we, uh, we, we have a cellar. We have a cellar where, we're, where we have, you know, uh, a pile of aged stuff, everything from sours to strong ales to spirit barrel aged things. And, and the truth is, is, you know, Dan, Dan's right here, you know, um, in the sense that, you know, it's a certain level of oxidization that happens. And, and you know, some beers do really, really well. I think the big issue right now is, is uh, we're a lot of the uh, um, a lot of drinkers uh, are under the impression that you know uh, an, an extended amount of time is a good thing. Where really it's 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 not about an extended. E- each beer is a but ju- uh, just uh, just like you said, uh, the, the you know it, each one's subjective, and and each beer has got its kind of like prime point. Oftentimes, you know, it can be six months or it can be longer. A few years, so you know the you know the as far as aging and vintage beers are concerned, um, uh, each you know each beer has got kind of kind of uh, uh, its day, you know, and and like I said, you know some beers do better than we, we always see like beers that have already had. Uh, you know, uh, uh, lots of exposure to oxygen in the first place. Like, you know, your sour beers and gooses and things will do better. Ben, I, I, have, I, have a, okay, I have a good vintage beer moment. So a few years ago, I got, I got a keg of, it was like Brooklyn and Schneider in Germany had made uh, a yeah, Hopfenweiss. Yeah. Word, but, there was, but B and I, the importer, said they had these, there were some leftovers from the year before. Uh, and mm. I, I had, it was like the Brooklyn, whatever it was, Hopfenweiss, Schneiderweiss. No and it was, bueno. it was soft and it was really beautiful. Then I had the new vintage, and, and it was much more hoppy in my face. But it was, it was, it was a quirk, that the fact that they actually had some from the year before. And I tasted at that moment that I realized how good it was. So I don't know if in beer people have had the experience with enough of the beers to know what's really age-worthy. And that, I think that's sure. the issue. The same is with wine. With wine, I think there's more history for people. And, Dan, what do you think about that? Is that Because you, you, you're one of the few guys I know who's really making vintage beers. Well, I guess we're one that's been doing it a long time. And so what we know is is that the repeatability is challenging because we're bringing in second, essentially second fill barrels, bourbon barrels that have been filled once. So the consistency on the barrels is, is all over the place. So when you see brewers that will say, oh, well, I aged this in a specific barrel from a specific distillery, that is not as important as was the barrel dried out? Where was it stored? All of those other issues are, are more important than what particular bourbon was in it. So we got a long way to go, I think, is the message to figure out exactly what, what it means to age beer in a barrel. And to be fair, I'm a guy that collects both. And I'll tell you this. There's an adage in wine that beer hasn't learned yet, and it's that there's no good wine. There's good bottles. And nobody would collect a wine that they didn't taste. Right? If you're just buying it that you should hold it for 10 years, you're just trusting someone else and that isn't right. right. Yeah. Guys that collect wine buy 36 
taste one. Right. And if it's good or shows ageability, they wait. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, there is no answer to beer except your own taste. Like everybody right. says, it's subjective. But once you've got what you've seen happen to other beers, you can in your own definition. So the, so the should I or shouldn't I is purely you. Should you or shouldn't right. you? What have you done? What well, experimenting have you done? You have the oldest cellar in New York. You well, one, one, one of the know. oldest, but I have to say that now, looking at it now, looking back, I was actually really happy about the fact that I got to taste, and maybe not happy at the time, a hundred-year-old bottle of beer at the time. It was, right. uh, we had a, with my beer geek friends, we had a Bass King's Ale that was, you know, corked, waxed, and everything else. And I always, and, and the youngest beer at the time, I think, was the first Thomas Hardy's um, bottling, which was 1963, if I'm not mistaken, or 68. Okay, sorry, Alex, thank you. And but I'm not going to go into this because I I'm a vintage fan, and but it, common denominator. They all become sherry, and yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. pretty much it. But the old sherry is awesome. No, no, it is. And you know what? I went into that tasting saying I'm going to drop that. I thought I, you know, sign my insurance policy off to my wife and blah 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 and all that stuff. But I lived and everything was yeah. fine and dandy. But what I'm going to say right now, vintage cellaring of beer and re- fresh beer is like cast beer and regular beer. And speaking of cast beer, Mr. Alex Hall. Thank you, Ed. The expert. In New York. So, Alex, what's or going on? You're bringing States. the Cask Mark program to America. Tell us about it. Uh, I am. Uh, I need to give most credit to Paul Pendyke from UK Brewing Supplies down in Pennsylvania. He did the uh, initial work um, with Paul Nunney from the Cask Mark Trust over in the UK. Uh, UK has about 8,500 pubs accredited, so that's uh, some achievement. So now it's the U.S.'s turn, and uh, me and him are working on our respective areas. Um, to Alex, uh, let me interrupt you. Sure. Just tell us what cask mark is, and you know, you're one of the leading authorities in America on, 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 on cask condition ales. Just tell us what cask mark means. It's an accreditation program. Uh, for, uh, it's, it's pretty strict. Um, we test uh, all the criteria. Uh, the clarity, the temperature, the aroma, the flavor of every cast beer on sale in each bar that signs up for it. Um, and the reward is a plaque, uh, a certificate, and a bunch of poison mm-hmm. cell material and a press release. Um, so this, it's so who, are there any New York City uh, cask mark certified bars? Yes, uh, three as of literally last week. It's really, really new here. Uh, DBA Brooklyn, um, uh, Kagan Lantern in Greenpoint, Whoa. and uh, Lucky Dog in Williamsburg. Excellent. Congratulations. Thanks. thanks. I, know you, I know you're really the proponent of it. So what are the things that you look for when, when you, now inspectors have to go into the bars and check on? What are they looking for when they're judging uh, cask beers? Because it's a whole other concept most of us are doing, you know, draft systems and bottles and everything. It's uh, j- just the quality of it. Uh, temperature, first and foremost, it's got to be within, uh, like, the range of 50 to 57. Uh, outside of that, it's going to lose probably too many marks to, to pass. Uh, the, the aroma, the flavor, and the clarity. Um, although if the beer is meant to be uh, cloudy, if it's a wheat beer, we'll take that into, into perspective. Uh, but you know, we, we like to have clear beer, basically. Does it matter if the beer is 
American beer or if the beer is a cask from England? It doesn't matter. Uh, no, we just take it into perspective uh, what the beer is meant to taste like and meant to look like. How about an empty cask? <laughs> <laughs> well, then, Dan from St. Louis, do they have any type of uh, cask beer programs or, or bars with cask beer in St. Louis? Taproom. When we started selling cask beer from day one, having come from Young's, and I think the Schlafly Taproom is still the only bar in St. Louis that that regularly carries or has so we has cask beer so we have two beers on cask so what, all the time. do you make a certain style that you put on cask or do you have any con, you know conditions to making something in cask or are you just dump it in the cask we tend to stick to traditional english styles or what i would call american american hybrid styles so we're we're not big fans of putting lager beer or belgian style beers or or German. Caskable beer. Yeah, no, but one thing about Caskable, and I want Alex to answer this because I know you have your Caskable coming up. The thing I found is that, you know, I know that the tradition is that this cask conditioning. But then I felt that for a number of years in America, breweries were just pouring their beer into casks, whether it was an Imperial IPA right. or whatever, with, without a regard for the style and, and uh, just serving it. And Ben, too, I know you've done, you do a number of cask fests. Jumping on this because. You know, do you think there should be any guidelines for what's put in a cask? I'd love yeah. to jump in on this too. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. I th- I think sh- there should be guidelines into what's put in and how it's put in. You know, we do we do a lot of work with cask beer, and and I'm not you know I'm obviously not going to name anybody, but a couple of times I have had you know uh, casks show up at the shop that have definitely been filled off of the bottom of the brights. Uh, you know, that day. Haven't been conditioned in the cast. They've just been filled at, you know, high pressure at like, you know, two and a half, almost three volumes already. And to vent a cask that's got three volumes of carbonation in it is ridiculous. So, I mean, I, I think there I, should I, be and next I to actually, a lot more I, I mean, I agree with you. We're you, opened up, you opened up a can of worms here. Because oh, sure. with me, it's like style is like, you know, I agree with you. It's like it should be like English style because that's where it came from first off. I would stick with porters, stouts, possibly IPAs, but when you put Belgian triples into cast, to me, it's just like you know. Okay, we Augie, stick wait, go to Augie. Augie. All right, let's no, go, me, guys. Because we're almost done. <laughs> <laughs> guys, we're, all, we're all gonna fight, guys. We're, we're, we're gonna fight. come back with I Alex. Love this. Yeah, we're right. gonna, for, and Justin's here too. Justin Kennedy, one of our producers. For now. me, I think it's we're, too we're often, coming back with a full cast show soon. But, but you're low. Uh, for me, it's too often treated like a Randall. It's like what happens if we throw peanut butter in a cask. No. We made 17 beers last year. There's four I put in casks because they made sense. What styles? In casks. None of our styles are normal, but they were all <laughs> better, warm, flat, and brown. Like they, they weren't. There was okay. Our Can IPA, you say one? Not Augie. our boat session. Okay, tell us one. We brand. put 077, but not boat. Okay. This beer doesn't make sense in a cask. Okay, Dan, and then if I didn't say. <laughs> I like that. At the brewery level, you know, there's there's cask conditioned beer and brewery conditioned beer. Brewery conditioned beer means that we create all the carbonation in the brewery, keg it, and release it, so it's stable. The question is, are brewer? I don't, I don't see a lot of brewers around the country that are actually cask conditioning beer in the sense of they're brewing it and leaving residual enough residual sugar. And then treating the whole batch for cask conditioning. And so a lot of beer is either getting put into the cask with too high, uh, too much sugar left. So you end up with very fiery casks because so, they just, they fer- there's too yeah. much fermentation. Then you're agreeing with what I'm up, saying. Yeah, well, I, I'm saying that for, for several years, all I found is that people were just filling up the casks and sending them out. 
And that's why I think that it, it died off. So, Steve. Yeah, this is Stephen from Schlafly, and I would like to take a firkin and open this can of worms and add it to it because this is several <laughs> sessions all at once. There's a it's lot not a of Randall. discussion. It's not a Randall. So we're doing it again. It's and let's, let's let Alex off. This is a wild group here. I got, I guess, we're going to go around and tell everyone's going to say what beer they brought because there's so many beers here. But first, Alex Hall, wrap it up. What is your feeling about this cask-conditioned or cask-American? Uh, either do it properly or don't do it at all. Simple as that. Uh, you, you, you've got you've got to have it like properly uh, secondary fermented. Otherwise, don't bother. Seriously, style. Just, yes, yeah. we agree. As for styles, I'm I'm a little more liberal than most of you lot. Um, if it doesn't work, try uh, if it, we'll try it out. If it doesn't work, then don't do it again. Simple as that. Uh, and if it works, then carry on doing it. I want yeah. an English triple next time. <laughs> <laughs> I would say let's, let's let's welcome Alex. Thanks for coming on the show because. The cask mark is is an important way for it's very important. to judge bars and how they serve. The same way we have the good beer seal in New York, you're judging bars and how they serve cask. But we also have to help develop a culture where we're doing true cask condition ales in America, which is probably way off. Unfortunately, the show's winding up. I'm going to do a, a quick wrap-up. What I would like, because we had so many beers on the table tonight, and I'm confused, and so many great guests. Let's start with Ed and just say which beer you brought or represented, because we've been drinking so many beers. Ed? I only bring Schlafly when I show up. <laughs> Which one, Ed? Come on. I have my reserve. I had the Imperial Stout from 2008 and the barley wine, which we, we didn't taste, and I'm not going to taste, but I'm going to leave it for you guys later Thank you. on. Steve from Schlafly. If it weren't for the TSA, we would have brought a lot more beer on the plane, so I'll leave it to uh, Ed and Dan to talk about the beers we brought. And Phil Richmond, I know you brought some beers, too. Yeah, I just brought the uh, Schlafly Single Malt, which was a lucky leftover from the Sabre Beer event that we did a couple of months back. So uh, you're all the beneficiaries, and uh, so will whoever shows up at uh, Beercraft Bay. Oh, tonight, but all right. Uh, I, bought a, I brought a ton of beer. It's all still in my backpack because we drank nothing but Schlafly and Carton. Pick one. What 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 did we not drink? Uh, well, I Where's brought a, I brought well right here, right here. I brought a uh, I brought a Horzel uh, uh, Mega Blend Goose that is a very sexy beer. But you know what? Not not well, yeah. We can open it now. Wait, sure. Ben, Ben, say it again. And where is it from? Because I've never heard it's, of it. It's uh, it's Belgian. It's a um, it's it's a blend of. Blends. What's the name of the beer? Uh, it's it's Mega Blend. It's called you, the name of the beer is Mega Blend. But what's the brewery? Cask. Blend? You should have brought. It's a not cask. a brewery. It's a blender. It's what? a blender. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you guys, well, you know. You should have bought a cask. You guys, I got here and everybody started feeding me beer. And I was like, Ben, you're so quiet, man. Ben, Come where's on. your cask? You should have right. bought a where's Belgian cask. cask. And then I'll, this, I'll this, bring you a cask next time. <laughs> and then, yeah, Dan, Alex, a cask. That's, that's why I'm not that, even talking to you. That's I know good. you would. No, right here. It's uh, madness. Horrell's, here. Horrell's Mega Blend. It's, a, it's actually it's a, it's a blender that Crack blends, which is completely crazy. I mean, Horrell's. And how'd you get this? Is there an importer? Uh, yeah, no, no, it, no. <laughs> it just showed up in his backpack. I got my ways, you know. I'm like, it kind of does with, I'm like, you know, talking to people here. Dan, let's get, come on, Dan, ben, come on, let's go. Come ben, on. you pissed off Jimmy. You Tell talk. us another one of the beers you brought us today, because well, we should try. Uh, if if people get a chance to come to Beer Craft tonight to try what's left of the this first batch of single malt Scottish ale, it's that's a if you like scotch and water, it's a pretty interesting. So are you married to a Scottish woman? I am. <laughs> You know what? It gave the whole thing away, man. Come yeah. on. <laughs> no, no. Farmer's daughter from Aberdeenshire. So. You're, you're a good one. Thank you. Thanks. And Augie, what, you, you tasted like four beers. What did you bring tonight? We brought Boat, a real session beer. Carton. We brought... Which I fell in love Harvest with over here on this end. This is a mosaic. Um, we brought Shipwreck Porter, which is our rum barrel-aged honey porter. 
And we brought one we're experimenting with, which is a 9% cream ale with coffee in it. All right. And Alex brought a cor- ma- <laughs> cask mark. Uh, uh, well, I brought that to New York City, but uh, the, uh, for the actual beer, uh, one of my own, I'm with Wandering Star Brewery. And Yay! we brought the cat, uh, Catnip IPA. It's a white IPA. So it's um, uh, a, a Belgian wit beer IPA hybrid. And it's very nice, too, <laughs> if you don't mind me saying so. Blowing my own trumpet there. Uh, 7.1% catnip white IPA. All right. Well, thanks, for everyone, for joining us. Uh, we're going to give another shout-out. We're still helping our friends in Colorado with the Colorado Craft Beer Tap Takeover and Charity Raffle. New York City's East Village and Lower East Side bars and restaurants are teaming up to help aid with the Colorado Flood, Colorado flood relief efforts. Uh, local beer distributor Union Beer will donate 50 cents per case. And three dollars and fifty cents per keg for every unit sold, uh, from Brackenridge, Left Hand, Great Divide, and Oscar Blues. And you know, it's one. It's, today is actually the one year anniversary of Sandy. Uh, Heritage Radio Network is doing uh, rerunning some of the specials from last year. But I have to say this: that you know, we had talks tonight. Small business owners, you know, uh, our friends at Mile End Deli, for example, and, and Red Hook. You know, there are places that were completely wiped out by by, by the. But by the storm, but others of us just lost business, and it was really hard. And everyone's rallying, and I think it's really proper and and uh, and uh, noteworthy that New York bar owners are, are joining together to raise money for Colorado, which just had a, another big storm. And uh, I can only say, uh, try to support everybody, and uh, you know, thank you again. But again, this is the I we didn't talk about the beginning of the show, but I will say this is the one year anniversary of Sandy, and a year ago in Sandy. We sat here and had a show, and, and I had one guest on, and the city was half the city was shut down. It was probably uh, one of the worst things that ever happened to New York. Um, so many, you know, breweries. We know Barrier Brewing w- w- was wiped out for a while, and, and Six Point had problems, and you know, so many restaurants and neighborhoods, and, and you know, it was something that was you never think that you think New York is is, is perfect and permanent. Um, Everyone did, and everyone came back. But it, it's a different world, a different time. But I will give. I want to raise our glasses because so many of us, you know, anybody in this room, you you went through it. Um, and I can only say that, you know, we're, we're glad it's over because you know what? I, I'm, I'm not. As I said, I can say it because we're not on the air. I can say, "Fuck Sandy, fuck Sandy." That's all I can Yay! say. So, all right. and six point. Yes. And uh, thank you. In closing, I'd like to thank our sponsors at GreatBrewers.com who've helped to bring this podcast to you tonight. All right. So and if you like this podcast, give us a good review on iTunes. Thanks. I, I, if I miss your name, it's because there's it's, it's a lot of people here. There's Ben, Dan, Ed, Augie, Alex, and uh, Steve, and, and, and Phil, and everybody else for joining me here on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks to our producers, Jack Inslee, Brie O'Connor, and uh, we got we got Maggie and uh, Justin, too, who are coming in as producers, and our engineer, Joe Galarraga. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right, yeah! All right. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.